Father, I, I just ask now that as we look at your word, you would speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. Father, you know where each of us is at right now. You know where we're coming from. I pray that you would meet us there and bring us one step closer to where we need to be. By your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So we're going to start in a new series this week on the book of 1 John. If you're familiar with it, there's in the New Testament, there's the Gospel of John, which is the story of Jesus' life. And we actually looked at that last week when we saw, looked at the story of Thomas on uh, Easter Sunday. And then, but then there's also the Epistle of John, which is a commentary by the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John on, on what it means to live the Christian life. And what I want to call this series is when love comes down to earth. You know, love is one of those things that nobody argues with and nobody disagrees with and everybody affirms. But there is a disagreement about what exactly it looks like and how it should work in, under different circumstances. And I think one of the contributions of the epistle of John, 1 John, is it gives us a picture of what that love looks like. So we're going to start at the start of 1 John in what's called the prologue. And it's the very first couple of verses that are printed in your program if you'd like to follow along. This is God's word for God's children this morning. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we have observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed. We have seen it and we testify and we declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is God's word for God's children this morning. One of the most devastating punishments that we have in the uh, American penal system today is what's called solitary confinement. You've probably heard of this. This is when usually someone for, for uh, reasons of behavior within the prison system is put in a plain room with just a bed and a john and a sink and locked in there and completely isolated from all human contact of any type for an extended period of time. And studies have shown that this affects people, this breaks people down in every way, not just psychologically and mentally, but also physically as they're in this circumstance, and, and takes away from individuals that endure it uh, part of their humanity, even though you're not doing anything to somebody except isolating them from it everything, even though you're not inflicting any harm directly on them, the isolation from human contact, give, when that's imposed on anybody, it comes close to destroying our humanity. And the reason for that is because you and I are relational beings. We're made for relationships. Part of being human is being relational. Part of being human is being connected to other humans. And if, we're in, if uh, we ha go through extended periods of time when we're not in relationships or when we're alienated in our relationships or we're deprived of relationships, that breaks us down. You know, it's been said that the quality of your life 
is going to be defined ultimately not by the quality of your career or the size of your bank account or how nice your house is or anything or the, the places you go or the things you acquire. At the end of the day, the quality of your life, the quality of my life is going to be a function of the quality of the relationships that we have, the quality of the relationships that, we're, that we were able to make and connect. And one of the ironies, I think, of modern life is for all the progress we've made and all the prosperity we enjoy in so many areas, one of the areas we remain the most challenged in is the area of relationships. Even in the midst of our prosperity, I think a lot of people I, I meet, even in the city, are struggling with a sense of isolation. You know, you, you work in a lonely place, you come home to a lonely place, apartment and uh, you know I think sometimes in the city it it mocks us even more because you can be surrounded by thousands of people you can walk down the street and pass by hundreds and hundreds of people and pass by restaurants that are full of of friends having interesting conversations and just feel like you're the only person who's alone in the city so we're isolated even in, in the midst of people even when we're not in solitary confinement but Worse than isolation, I think, sometimes is alienation. It's not that we're not alone, but that we just don't like any of the people we're around. And any of you experienced that? Maybe you go to work and you're like, I really don't like anybody at this office. And then, <laughs> and then, then you come home and you're like, uh, you know, I don't really like anybody here either. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, even in the midst of, of connections and, and dealing with people, we realize there's nobody who really knows us Nobody really cares about us. Nobody would shed a tear if we disappeared. And we feel like, you know, alone in a crowded room. And I think, unfortunately, often, even when we go to church sometimes, you might feel that. You show up and you've got these burdens. You've got these concerns. You're just hoping desperately that you'll make a personal connection with someone. Instead, you just show up and you participate in the show. And then you go home and you realize that nobody really cared if you were there or not. It's one of the worst possible things. But this is, goes back to the human condition. We're made for relationships. The quality of your life is the quality of your relationships. And if you're in solitary confinement, you'll die there because we're made for, for a connection. And so 1 John, I think it's important because it shows us what God's design for this epoch of humanity is in terms of our relationship. And it shows us the path to to real fellowship and, and those connections. And, and, um, and it shows us what it looks like when love comes down to earth. John writes this, I'm writing this so that you might have fellowship with us. He tells us the purpose of his book right up front. He says, I'm writing this book so that you can have fellowship with us. And the first thing I want you to see here is the fellowship initiative, an initiative that is taken by God. Look at the very first verses of the prologue, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed. We've seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. He's talking about, what's he talking about? Who knows? Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. It's always the right answer. <laughs> so that, that was, was uh, safe. But yeah, he's talking about Jesus. He's, and here's John the Apostle, late in his life, and he's saying, you know, what we saw, what we touched, what we experienced 
we're sharing it with you. Because the fellowship initiative, the initiative of love, was the initiative of God sending Jesus on the very first Christmas, sending him to walk among us and to live among us. You know, last week we talked about Thomas, you know, and it's interesting how these, these passages kind of anticipate one another, one another when Thomas was invited in the, in the room to reach out and touch Jesus' side, to touch his hands and to see that, that he actually was risen. And then Thomas took that message that Jesus was risen and, and became the, uh, one of the apostles. And, you know, according to church history, took the gospel all the way to India and founded the church there. But uh, the, the, the essential purpose of the life of Christ, the essential reason for Jesus coming was so that he could have a relationship first with his apostles and then through his apostles with everybody else. One of the remarkable things that happens in the story of the gospel as Jesus is approaching the end game in the upper room discourse in John chapter 15, he says, you know, I used to call you servants, but from now on, I'm going to call you my friend. Jesus says, I've come here to make friends with you, and now you guys are my friends. So to be a friend of Jesus, that, that was the ultimate reason for which he came, the reason for the incarnation. That, that's the initiative, uh, the, the, the fellowship initiative of God. That which was from the beginning, that life was revealed. We've seen it and we declare and testify you to this, the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. The whole project of the story of redemption from Christmas when God became one of us to Good Friday when God died to take away our sins to Easter when he rose again to conquer death for you and for me. All of that was so that God could have a relationship. And it's amazing. It's like one of those one-sided relationships. You ever been a part of one of those one-sided relationships where you're the one who's always visiting, and you're the one who's always reaching out, and you're the one who's always trying to make the connection happen, and, and it seems like you're doing all the work in the relationship. But if you look at this story, the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus, it's, it's kind of a one-sided relationship where God is doing all the work reaching down to us. The story of Jesus, got, the word became flesh, eternity stepped into time so that we could have a relationship with God. Because our biggest problem was we were alienated from him. We were made for a relationship with God, and then we were alienated from him. And so he sent Jesus on a mission to bring us back. But now, so that, that what I want you to see here, what's remarkable about this is the apostles had firsthand experience of this, right? They saw Jesus, they saw the miracles, they talked with him, they heard his teaching firsthand, they had a relationship with him, they all saw him after he rose up from the dead. So they, they had personally encountered Jesus, they personally knew about, about him and who he was and, and what he had, had done. But now, but look at what they say, what we have seen and heard, we declare to you so that you might have fellowship with us. Now, here's what's amazing about that. Think about that. They're saying, we had this experience, but we're sharing with you about it. We're going to tell you about it, and then you are going to have a connection with us as well. 
And so the experience that we had is an experience that you can have as well, even though you're not going to see him personally, even though you're not going to see his miracles, even though you're not going to be able to reach out and touch his side where the spear went in, you can have just as vital and just as real an encounter with Jesus as we, as we have and just as real a relationship with Jesus as we have if you will believe in him. And that's the fellowship opportunity. The fellowship opportunity is that this, this experience that belonged to the apostles can also belong to us. Uh, you know, that, that just as Peter and John and Thomas and Paul had this encounter with the risen Christ that changed their life, you can have an encounter with the risen Christ that changes your life because he's just as powerful and just as real to you as he was to, to them. And, and so the power of the risen Savior, the power of the work of Christ is not just for those who saw him personally. That power is for everyone who believes. See, the apostles were, an, uh, you know, it, the, way, the way I read the scriptures, the apostles were a select group of people who personally encountered the risen Christ. So it was the, the uh, 11 disciples remaining after, uh, after Judas betrayed Jesus, plus, plus Paul the apostle. All of those had a personal encounter with Christ. But the thing that the Bible tells us is they weren't a secret society. It wasn't like the 12 of them had this encounter and they kept it to themselves. They had this encounter and then they went and they shared it with everybody else and they formed the church as we know it. They formed the church in the first century by telling other people that you too can know the power of Jesus. The same Jesus that that we touched can touch you. The same Jesus who conquered death for us can conquer death for you because he didn't just rise again for to save us, he rose again for everybody. And so, as a result of that, as he says here, we write this so that you might have fellowship with us. You know, and, and here's John. He's an 85-year-old man, approximately, when he writes this. He's never going to meet most of the people who he wrote this letter to. And he says, yet you will have fellowship with us. Yet you will have a connection with us if you have the same transformative encounter with Jesus that we had and you can have that experience and so so that's the amazing thing about the the apostles is they had this encounter with Jesus they had this common experience but then they invited everybody else into it because because being a follower of Christ isn't just about being a friend of a friend of God or a friend of Jesus but it's also finding a way to have a friendship with one another. It forms a new basis for friendship with one another. And that's what we call fellowship. You know, that's when they toss around the word Christian fellowship. It's that friendship that's centered on our common faith in God. I think one of the most helpful things about friendship that, that gives perspective to this is written by C.S. Lewis. You might have heard of a book called The Four Loves, but he, he makes a helpful distinction between a... Uh, a romantic relationship and a friendship or, uh, you know, eros and phileos in the, the Greek words. Because, you know, in a, a romantic relationship, two individuals turn their faces towards each other and they say, oh, you're so cute. No, you're so cute. And, and you make me so happy. No, you make me so happy. You, you know, and, and, and then everybody else wants to leave the room and just leave the two, you know. It's like, like, have you ever had breakfast with Ben and Katie? It's like... <laughs> Uh, you know, 
So, but that's a romantic relationship, two people kind of focused on each other. A friendship, as, as, as C.S. Lewis defines it, is when two people are side by side, focused on something that they share a common interest in. Lewis puts it this way, friendship arises when two or more companions discover that they have something in common that others do not share and which until that moment they believed was their own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening a friendship would be something like, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. And that is why, this is, Lewis goes on to say, that is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. Because the very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. See what he's saying? You think of the people who you're close with in your life, who you're friends with, it's probably because you have some common interest, some common hobby, some common taste that you enjoy sharing together. And the beautiful thing about that is, is two people can share a hobby, but, but, but if there's something that multiple people are passionate about, the more the merrier. You know, two people can who like basketball can stand around and shoot hoops, but if two more people show up, you can play a two-on-two basketball game. And if, if eight more people show up, then you can have a five-on-five -five game. And if 20 people show up, then you can get a regular tournament going. The more people, the more fun when you're sharing a common interest. But when John talks about inviting people into fellowship, he's saying all of us, if we have a common experience of transformation through Christ, if we have a common encounter with Christ, and if he's touched our lives, and if he's changed our lives, then we have something in common. And the remarkable thing about this is the dynamic when you meet somebody who you have actually absolutely nothing in common with, but you find out that they share a common faith with you. And, and even though maybe age-wise, generation-wise, and... Uh, and, and just in terms of uh, background and culture and other interests, you have absolutely nothing in common, yet in spite of that, you discover you're both believers, you're both Christians, you both pray, and, and on the basis of that, a relationship is formed. Have you ever had that experience? I think in, in my life, I've, I've had that experience, especially traveling overseas. You know, you're traveling overseas, you're in a strange country with strange, strange uh, a, a language you're not familiar with and, and customs you're not familiar with and food you're not familiar with. And then you, you show up in church on Sunday and all of a sudden you find yourself surrounded by believers. And, and you, even though you can barely communicate, you realize that you have this in common. And, and here's, here's believers from different countries getting together. And, and there's this fellowship that takes place because we have one thing in common and we have Jesus in common. So that, that's a remarkable thing. And that's why if you do travel internationally, it's, it's fun to look up churches and just kind of pop in on Sunday morning just to see, see what, what is, God is doing in, in, that, uh, in that country or in that nation. But here's the, the challenge for that. If, if we can do that when we travel to another country or another continent, what about when we walk across the street or walk across the tracks or walk across town? If we find other people who share our faith, it's an opportunity for fellowship, an opportunity for relationship, because regardless of what other things we might have that are different, if we have a common faith in Christ, 
we have a basis for unity, a basis for connection that can transcend all those things, if we'll let that be the thing that identifies us. And so, so, so the invitation of the apostles is an invitation that we should accept, but then an invitation we should extend to everyone else. John says, we write this so that you might have fellowship with us, so that you might understand the power of God in your life, the power of the resurrection, the power of Jesus' love in your life, and then we'll have something in common, something to talk about. So that's the, the, the fellowship invitation. But now, finally, I want to talk about the fellowship, the promise of fellowship. And now this part, if you get this, if I... If, if this gets through to you, this actually ought to blow your mind. If not, um, we'll try again next week. <laughs> but, but listen, listen to me, because this, this, is, this is where it actually um, gets important. Um, look, look at verse 3. He says, We write this so that you might have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. When we have fellowship with God, with with uh, other believers, it's based on the fact that God invites us into fellowship with Him, into fellowship, in, into communion with Him. And the deepest truth of the gospel is that through the gospel, through the work of Christ, through Christmas, through Good Friday, through through Easter Sunday, is that all of us are united, are are invited into into union with Christ and invited into communion with God. You know, the story of God, what's the story of God from the beginning of time? That from the very beginning, from all eternity past, God was in an eternal relationship with love, of love, an eternal dance of love. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost were a self-sufficient family, as it were, a unity and yet a trinity of the three persons in perfect relationship with one another, a perfect family, if you will, with perfect love in perfect fellowship. And, you know, there was a unity there, and yet there was a diversity. But the story of redemption, you've got to understand, what does it mean to believe in Christ? What does it mean to have fellowship with God? It means that God invites you and me into that family. He invites us into communion with him. That's at the heart of what salvation is. That's at the heart of what having a relationship with God is all about. And, uh, you know, this is hinted at a little later in 1 John when he says, behold what manner of, or see what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and that is what we are. And then, you know, another remarkable passage, I, I don't know quite what to do this, but it says, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. I mean, that's, that's amazing. You know what that's saying is Jesus is so closely connected with you that he's not ashamed to call you his brother and sister. Now, that blows my mind because I've got a little sister, and, and according to her parents, she's actually perfect. And it's, it's kind of frustrating, and there's been a lot of times in my life when she was ashamed to call me her brother for a variety of reasons we don't need to get into right now. But, but Jesus, think of how perfect he is, and yet he is not ashamed to call you his brother. He is, 
not ashamed to call you his sister. And God the Father says is delighted to call you his child. And that's, that's, that's what the Trinity means. You know, we talk about the, the Trinity, or maybe you hear that, that bandied about as one of these theological terms that nobody understands. But what it means is that God is love, and he invites you. God is in this eternal dance of love, and he invites you to join into the dance. God is this, this perfect family of love, and he invites you into his family. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. As Jesus prayed in John 17, let the love that you have for me be in them and let I myself be in them so that we may all be together. That's the invitation, the relationship that God invites you and me to. If that sounds too abstract, let me just sum it up this way. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We're made for relationships. Your life, my life, the quality of our lives is defined by the quality of our relationships. You know, and your most important life's work is developing and maintaining and preserving and multiplying these relationships that will improve your life and through which you can improve the lives of others. And your greatest hurt in life is going to be those lost relationships, those failed relationships, those broken relationships that pile up in the collateral damage of your life. You know, in almost every life, there's ups and downs of relationships. Your life and my life, we have these, these up times and we have these down times, these times when our home is full of love and life and laughter, and those times when we're putting our head down in a rented room and wondering if there's anybody in the city who would even know if we disappeared. You know, we, we have these, these highs and we have, we have these lows and then, then we have these highs again. And I've, as I've, I've lived life and as I've seen other people live life, I've, I've concluded nobody's exempt for, from the ups and downs of these, uh, of, of these things. But, but if uh, we get this, if we understand this, and our fellowship is with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, then we have what we need to ride those ups and downs. You know when there's a hurricane offshore, the first thing they do is they shut down the beaches, right? Because the, the waves get really big, and if you go out there, you're likely to die. If you just go out there, you just happen to be swimming out there because the waves are big, it's really rough out there, and, and people are killed. Because normal people under normal circumstances can't handle that. But there's a certain subset of the population the surfers who, when the waves get really big and when they shut down the beaches, they sneak past the police barricades with their surfboards and they take it as an opportunity because those big waves are an opportunity to ride, an opportunity to do something spectacular, an opportunity to experience something profound. And I believe that if we really understand what it means to have our fellowship with God and with His Son, then as we ride the ups and downs of relationships, as we go from a full life to an empty life and then back to a full life, those are opportunities for us to share his love with others at their best. And when we find ourselves alone, we find ourselves, our lives broken and our hearts broken and, and, and things falling apart 
It's an opportunity to go deeper into what it means to know that we're children of God, to go deeper into our experience of what it means to know that Jesus doesn't call us slaves anymore. He calls us his friend. To go deeper into what it means to know that he's not ashamed to think of you as his brother or sister. To go deeper into what it means to know the consolation of the Holy Spirit. So that's the opportunity that he gives to all of us. And I think sometimes maybe he even gives us, just, just as a surfer looks at a crashing wave as an opportunity to get a great ride, Sometimes God brings us to those places as an opportunity for us to experience his power, to experience his presence, and to know his love in a way we never would have known otherwise. Your fellowship is with God the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I, I just lift up everybody here, and as, as we ride the waves of life, the waves of the ups and downs of life, I know that a lot of different people are coming from different angles and have different perspectives and different experiences, but I, I just ask, particularly for those who are racing down the face of a wave right now, that you would give them a renewed sense of your presence in their life, a renewed sense of your grace in their life and a renewed sense of your love in their life. Uh, that that uh, even if it seems that all is lost, they might find hope in knowing that they belong to you. Make this real to each of us, we pray, Father, regardless of where we're at right now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.